Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited Podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the uh, on the East Coast, usually. I'm Ben Montgomery. I am actually in the home studio <laughs> of of our co-host, um, and he is the, uh, the man who, well, he turned me on to this band that we're going to talk about tonight. So... Uh, welcome, my co-host, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben Ami. All right. So for this episode, we have one of our Patreon revisitors. He is the man who's been swayed by the cool, like many of our patron guests. Um, he didn't wait too long to come home, but for all, we will leave the front light on. All right. So here is, uh, here's Kevin Peters. Hello. Uh, also joining us is one of my favorite Twitter follows. He writes about music, including for Chorus.fm. And Wayne, he's a fellow Swifty. Okay, good. Please <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Craig Manning. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Glad we were finally able to get you on an episode. And last but not least, so I, I surprised Craig and Kevin with this. We are joined by a member of the band that we're going to talk about today. He's also part of a new, newish band called Forgivers. And he is part of the Gaslight Anthem. This is uh, Alex Rosamilia. Hey, guys. How you doing? How are you? Good to be here. I'm doing all right. Can't complain. We were, we were talking before, um, uh, before Craig's showed up and before kevin showed up you guys just played at shaky knees yeah in atlanta yeah it was a, a super fun time you know it, <laughs> we we decided to start playing shows literally the first time we played together was january 1st 2020 and we're like 2020 is gonna nope no it's not um <laughs> but <laughs> it's interesting because you know usually the the cycle is like you start a new band you get enough songs to play live and then you just start playing live and you kind of like whittle yourself through live shows and we were not given that opportunity. <laughs> so we instead, um, you know, were able to kind of really hone our sound before we even had to set foot on stage. Um, as of now, we've only played three shows. They've all been festivals. So it's like, <laughs> it's this weird kind of, it's not, the way it's usually goes when you start a new band, but it's been a lot of fun and it's like a, you know, it's been super fun playing with Alex again. And, um, it's a way for us to kind of like, uh, you know, focus on different, I guess, influences, you know, you know, with, yeah. with gaslight, you know, you can't, you can't shove a, a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. Right. So like gaslight sounds a certain way. Um, and there's some things that both Alex and I like that are maybe a bit too angular or 80s, I guess. Does, <laughs> if, does that make any sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so we just thought we'd kind of do that with some other friends of ours that we knew that were also kind of like-minded individuals as far as same kind of bands and stuff that we wanted to sound like. Um you know, so where it's like the guess I am was like this massive melting pot of all these completely different influences. This was like yeah. four bands. Let's go. Kind Love of it. thing. Love it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. 
All right. Got some well, shows coming up in December. Sorry, before I didn't yeah, mean to cut you off. I just thought about that. <laughs> we have a bunch of shows in December too, uh, like kind of up and down the East Coast. Um, I'm even used to plugging shows because it just hasn't been a thing in so long, you know. Promote away, man. That's yeah. that's one of the that's reasons why I wanted to hear it. Done with the to, promotions to, to, to promote forgivers. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so. Um, before we start talking about Gaslight Anthem, we have to start with the all-important question. So I'm going to start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, when I was I was in Las Vegas for this kind of this rockabilly tattoo car show thing, and like I say, it really I feel like it it fits kind of the the aesthetic with that because they have a very Gaslight had a had a sound that was. You could hear the Chuck Berry and the Buddy Holly. You could, you know, you could hear the punk rock, and it had this. It had something timeless. And uh, anyway, when I was at the at the car show with all the girl, the pin, girls dressed like pinups and tattoos and stuff, I got a shirt from Red Devil Clothing. Uh, try to fit the mood: skulls and tattoos and girls in short skirts. <laughs> all right. How about you, Kevin? I already see what you're wearing, so I'm. Um, yeah, I had a t- I had a I'm, t-shirt all picked out, and then I got one in the mail the other day from my uh, favorite podcast. So that's the <laughs> shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> so, very good, very good. Pimp our show as much as you as much as you can. So. I'm like, I gotta wear. I'm like, I'm like, that's not a dorky thing, is it? To, to wear the never the, the podcast t-shirt. <laughs> I wear my own. I I promote my own stuff all the time. I am actually wearing a forgiver shirt right there now. There we go. Yeah, I don't feel yeah. so bad. Right, Alex. No, I, yeah. Now I feel all right. Yeah, we're we're good. We're Absolutely. good. Absolutely. I'm always if I am always wearing I mean I started doing that probably two thousand and Yeah, you gotta promote twelve yourself. or thirteen. I'm always like gaslight, I'm always wearing a gaslight shirt. And then with dead swords I'm always wearing a dead sword shirt. And with forgivers I have worn a forgiver shirt to every show. My friend Ed yells at me about it. He's like, you can't wear your own. I'm like, no, that's not true. I do it all the time. <laughs> all, all good. How that's an outdated you, notion. How about you, Craig? What uh, T-shirt are you wearing? Yeah, well, it's actually a sweatshirt because we're, uh, you know, verging on winter here in Michigan. Yeah. But it says, uh, I found religion at the record store. Very good. And that's uh, from a, uh, a Records Revisited alumni, Mr. Matt Nathanson. Yep. So... I know you guys know him. Oh yeah, we do. We we love we love Matt. It's only a matter of time before um, he comes back on for episode three. So yeah, we more we, more you two talk probably. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe some Prince. We're not we're not sure yet. He he gave me a, a ration of crap that I, I allowed another guest to talk about Unforgettable Fire. So oh, he even sure. he even yeah. said, "Don't be surprised if we redo that episode." <laughs> so it it might happen. I reckon yeah. um, use two episodes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I'm wearing I'm wearing my Pearl Jam T-shirt. It um, I figured I'm up in the Pacific Northwest this week. Might as well might as well pimp out my um. They're they're my new favorite band. New favorite Seattle band because. Um, what is this? Nineteen ninety-two. Well, yeah. no. no here, here, here's the deal. So yesterday there were some accusations that came out against Ken Stringfellow of the Posies. Um, I'm I'm very much a Posies apologist. 
I, I, I love that band. However, we're probably going to need to take a break for a little bit. And so Pearl Jam has been my number two Seattle band forever. Gotcha. And so they're now my number one. Not, that's not really the best way to get to number one. It's not the best way to get to number one. It's it's not. I, I totally, totally agree with that. All right. Well, I want to be cognizant of Alex's time, but I, I did want did have a couple questions for Kevin and Craig, if you don't mind, Alex. Not at all. First, for Kevin... I think you're the original Patreon. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I, th- I think you were the first one to, to, to join up. So how did you get connected with the podcast? How did you find us? Um, I have a long commute to work, so um, you know, I'm always looking for new podcasts. Um, I used to listen to this one called, I don't know if it was two guys in New Jersey. They kind of did the same thing. It was uh, called The Great Albums. Do you, you ever hear that one? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, kind of kind of the same thing. They did like track by track review, and then they they stopped doing it. So I'm like, oh, I gotta find somebody else. <laughs> so you know, I, like you know, Google around and um, came upon this, and you know, love it. You know, I've, I've gone back through all the back episodes and stuff. Yeah, appreciate it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, well, it's thank you, great podcast. albums for bowing out and for bowing and out, right? Giving us one of your audience members. I appreciate that. Somebody probably got, had a kid or they left the lane open for you. No, they're, I don't even think so. They're, 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 I mean, I think you guys are about my age. I think these guys were younger too. So I don't know. Well, I don't know why they stopped, bored, but moved on. yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't get. They definitely didn't get to 200 episodes. <laughs> Realized they weren't making any money off of this, and they're like, "Oh, okay, peace out." That's probably well, it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Craig, how, how how about you? How did how did I get connected with you on Twitter? I don't even remember how you and I got connected, but I'm I I love your takes on things. You and I have a lot of the same interests in music. Yeah, yeah, we definitely and do. And I already mentioned that we're. We're Swifties here. We're we we're okay admitting that that we love Taylor. Well, as we all should. Uh, yeah, I actually, funnily enough, I think it was Matt. I think it was Matt Nathanson, and uh, you know, I've interviewed him a few times. I've been a fan of his for uh, you know probably 15, 16 years at this point. And I think the first episode you guys did with him was the uh, acting baby episode. Yeah. So I think that's where I. Uh, I jumped aboard and then sort of went digging through the back the backlog from there and you know so many records since then have been covered obviously that I love so uh, I I know you and I have been talking for a while about uh, me coming on here and and talking about something and <laughs> I think we've had a few ideas over the years but you know here we are uh, first one so excited about this absolutely um, and I'm I'm super jealous you got you got a shout out from. Mr. Brian Fallon, because of your Mr. Brian, yeah, <laughs> because of your review of Noah Gunderson's last record, which I love Noah. Yeah, have you guys had him on yet? He's already told me he's not a music nerd, and what? so he will. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to figure out a way to get him on, and just have him riff about music because I bet he is actually more than he thinks. More than he thinks. <laughs> I think, oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I've talked to him a few times, and he's 
you know, he, he's got music influences all over the map, and uh, he's always an interest, interesting, insightful guy to talk to about it. So I'm surprised he said that. I, it, it seems like he would be totally game to, to pick a record and talk through it. Oh, well. All good. All good. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so Alex, let, yep. let's talk about 59 Sound. Because that, sure. that is what the, this episode is about. Um, when I reached out to your PR people and, and said, hey, want to do something a little bit different and maybe have somebody that, that can give us the behind the scenes of what happened with this. All of us that are here to, tonight are, are big fans of the record. Um, I don't know how you guys felt. There's not a one on this album. This was a hard one to score. Wayne, you already sure. mentioned to me that this was like yeah. the worst. <laughs> and I, I mean, I do this tw- usually twice a week and I've gotten kind of used to it. And there, there wasn't anything like even on some of the great albums we've done, there's a song that'll stick out as your least favorite. And you can kind of anchor off that. Um, I, it, was, it was a struggle. Awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I, I was mad at myself for some of the, I had some of the scores I, I gave. With, yeah, I had to come up with like wow. bizarre little things that. Well, can can, it, can I read the text that you sent me this morning when you sent me the scores? Because I was like, "Hey, did you send me the scores?" He's like, "On my way." And then a couple minutes later, he goes, "Ignore those." And then you send another. Text. I have to adjust this real quick. And then I got another text about 30 seconds later that said, never mind, I'm going with those. This is the most difficult to score to this point. Wow. That's a, that's pretty cool. So we're going to have some scorer's remorse. I, I know that happens a lot on, on these episodes, okay. but we'll, we'll have some scorer's remorse. I'm sure none of the songs will take it personally. <laughs> no. So, it's good to hear. So, Alex, do you have mm-hmm. a favorite song on this record? Like, do is I there favorite? one that 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 my you number have twelve? Such you just want my number twelve. With? <laughs> you no, just want my number twelve. Right. Sure. Right. Um, hmm. uh, maybe back. Maybe backseat. Yeah, probably back. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That or Miles Davis. Okay. I think would be would be mine. Yeah, I think and probably one of the. I mean, I don't. This is a tough one, isn't it? Uh, no, um, I think so. It, it's it definitely like if I, you know, I, I think it's a lot easier for me to have a favorite song on probably all of the other records, but this one is, yeah, interesting. I never thought about. So. I'm going to go back to backseat. Yeah, take my Jeopardy. Take my first answer. <laughs> that that's 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 Your a fine, quality pick. That's final quality answer. Pick. <laughs> so take me back to 2000 2008 when you guys were being courted by a bunch of different labels. You guys ended up so- signing with Side One Dummy. Dummy. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah, was that mostly because of Joe Sib recruiting you guys or what what was the story behind that? I, I, I mean, so it's Joe Sib and Bill Armstrong who's the other 
guy, right? One of them is That's side right. one, the other one is dummy. Uh, and they decided to join forces, hence the name side one dummy. Um, but both of them actually came out to a couple shows and, and you know, like we were being courted by a, a couple, you know, I think major labels at that point too. I think Atlantic had started talking to us at that point. But, you know, we weren't into doing it, you know, to to uh, at that point at least it wasn't about like signing the major we wanted to still have control over what we were doing we wanted you know the the bigness of it all kind of was a, was a bit too daunting I think for us at that point and side one you know invited us over there it felt more familial which we were really super into um, always have been I think you know even anybody in our crew would tell you the same thing it's like a very familial type environment with us um so like it it felt more like we were hanging out with friends. it didn't feel like we were at a label you know it felt like we were like hanging yeah. out with people that we had already known for a while so it's kind of what made us lean and and choose with side one who then gave us ted hutt who's you know an awesome producer um the, you know the list is too long to name yeah. but um nice resume he, he he's kind of you know um not to be too meta with things uh but like it's, we had him come out for the forgiver stuff and one of the first things he kind of like made us do pre-production wise was like turn the gain down a little bit <laughs> and i was very like mm. and then uh, I was doing. I, I do a bunch. I do, I do guitar lessons yeah. uh, for students, and like just anybody who wants to either learn how to play Gaslight stuff to like helping people write songs and produce things on their own. Um, and I was doing something off of the '59 sound, and I'm listening to him going, "Wow, this is ridiculously clean." And I never really noticed that about the record before, and it's like things like that. I think that make the record on a whole kind of still kind of stand out um and things that i wasn't even aware of were happening at the time there's a lot of things that i know understand about the record now that i didn't understand while we were doing it and now i'm like oh wow that's why that <laughs> that okay cool kind of a thing does, does that make any sense yeah you mentioned that it, this sounds clean now i think one of the appeals to the 59 sound is that it does sound very much like you guys were just practicing all of these songs in your garage and on these really small bar stages. And now we're going to capture that magic of being on those bar stages for, for the songs. Is that right? Pretty accurate of what I mean, they were I'm, trying to, trying to capture? No, not even, <laughs> I don't even think, no, no? not even close. Um, <laughs> but it, I think that was our, that's the energy we put out that, you know what I mean? That gives it that feel. Yeah. The, the, the aesthetic intention, I think, in the, the get was, you know, we, we had our practice space. We were practice. We knew we had to write a new record now because we were going to be on side one and, uh, we're working on it and, Brian comes in with the song, the 59 sound. He's like, this is going to be the catalyst for the whole thing. This whole idea of like mixing the kind of like soul influence that we all had growing up, yeah. um, listening to stuff from like stacks and Motown and things like that. And with the punk stuff that we all had growing up, you know, and then, you know, 
jersey. So you add the jersey. And then, uh, you know, so like, I didn't realize how obvious it all was when we were doing it. And that's one of those things that I see in hindsight. It's like, oh, wow, we really did kind of just take those things and put it all together. Um, and that's kind of what created that whole record's sound was those kind of three, I think, were like the main influences. You have like, I'll say, okay, so let's see. Um, you would say like Sam Cooke, Joe Strummer, Bruce Springsteen would be like the three archetypal. Like, if, you know, you do like the diagram with the triangle and you kind of like, we'd be right in the middle yeah. of that. Good triangle. Three corners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, what's it actually called? I, I don't know the technical name, but they, the fire triangle, it's fuel, um, oxygen, and, you know, and the material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And combustibles, yeah, and then, yeah. That's, boom, right in the middle. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, 59 cent. Well, that's a band I wouldn't <laughs> mind hearing right there. <laughs> I wish some later. Springsteen records would add would have added the jersey as you mentioned. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I, that part wasn't on me. We'll say that the Fallon is definitely the okay the, the the guy adding that part of it, and I'm not sure he's. I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's more of a late seven mid to late seventies uh, Springsteen than an eighties Springsteen with yeah. the band, not without the band. Kind of a vibe. Does that make sense? Um, yep. But yeah, uh, but that's like why we had. That's why the 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 soul thing is why there's that slapback on his voice the whole record. You know, we were trying to recreate this kind of like. Well, that was specifically those like um, Elvis's uh, Blue Moon. You know, like the record that London Calling is ripping off. Um, mm-hmm. He's trying to get that kind of slap back that was the slap back we were trying to attain in that bit even down to the beginning of the record remember because vinyl wasn't even really that you can imagine that we put a vinyl sound at the beginning of the cd right and now it's like it doesn't make any sense when you put it wait i just put the needle why does it sound like i put a neat whatever um that whole kind of idea that we're that this album is something older than what it is originally yeah, does that make sense? Yep. Craig or Kevin, you got some questions for Alex? I have a question. I am, as the resident Boston guy, how does Dickie Barrett get on mm-hmm. the record? <laughs> uh, Ted. That that was Ted Hutt. <laughs> Ted Hutt had done uh, some Boston stuff. He'd done the, um, I don't know if he'd started doing Dropkicks yet, but he was already doing Street Dogs. Yeah. He's done the last couple of records with the Dropkicks. I mean, he was in Flogging Molly. Um so the that would that was he was just like he just called all of his friends to come <laughs> hang out. The the door at the beginning of Old White Lincoln is actually Joe Soroyce's like sixty four Chevy. Or no, Cadillac. Sixty four nice. I don't I'm not a car guy. <laughs> um it's like big It just Cadillac. wasn't no, a Lincoln. It might actually it might have been a Lincoln Continental. Shit. Sorry, I'm from I'm not. I would hope so, yeah. Geez. <laughs> It's something old like that. It should be. Uh, and uh, we thought it would be cool to, you know, get the door slammed. It's like as if somebody could see the car when you're listening to the... You can tell by the door slam that that's like an authentic Lincoln Continental or something. Yeah, but that was like Joe Sorey. He came to hang out a couple times, and then Dickie came in to do those backup parts. 
uh, Chuck Reagan and Chris Wallard both came in to do, uh, or no, Chuck Reagan was supposed to come in and do stuff, and then uh, Wallard came in by himself um, to do uh, River's Edge. Oh, crap. That might be my number 12. Oh, no. <laughs> Meet me by the River's Edge. <laughs> New one. Um, no take backs. Okay. Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> He made it. He can. He can take it back. It's I'm trying to think what other kind of what other people were. I think that was it for for fun. Uh, Joe Sib does backups on a song. And we had these two uh, women who were in the uh, Springsteen's Pete Seeger band as backup singers, and those are the female voices that are on the record. All all okay. were in Ted's phone. <laughs> maybe it was still a Rolodex at that time. I don't know. But yeah, that's nice. how we that's how we've had any any of the guests we had <laughs> that thing were because of Ted. It wasn't from your role at Dex. No, no, yeah. no. Ted's Ted's now the only cool guy in my Rolodex. Well, outside <laughs> of you know the rest of the band. Greg, how about you? Any questions for Alex? Yeah, I guess my my only question is sort of you know comparing this record back to Sink or Swim. I've always heard it kind mm. of as a a big leap forward for you guys. Um, and I'm curious, I guess, the mindset and the influences that you brought to that record versus this one. Uh, I think maybe th- thinking about the triangle you were talking about, I hear hmm. uh, maybe less less of the Sam Cooke piece on that one than this one. So maybe and that's think the... Think or Swim. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the yeah, X factor. Yeah, for sure. Abs- yeah, I, I definitely think so. You know, they, you know, you have your whole band career to write your first record. And that was, I think, parts of it, too, were made up from, you know, things like 1930 were um, from This Charming Man, the band that that a couple of the guys were in before that, uh, or I should say before the Gaslight Anthem. Um, You know, and it still wasn't like, we were still just punk, we were punks. We didn't really think about being much other than punks, you know. I think it was Senor and the Queen, to be honest with you, that really gave us the idea to, like, add this kind of like I don't want to say add a 50s element because I feel like the like lyrically we were already there sure in Sink or Swim at times but but with Senor and the Queen is when like we pull that whole aesthetic we use pictures of our grandparents as getting married you know as like the artwork for the inside uh, we the idea of like the Ferris wheels and you know that whole thing starts with that EP um and that's where, like, I started messing sonically with a bit more of those kind of, like, reverbs and delays and and that kind of stuff in, in more of a, um, I don't know what's the right word, nostalgic kind of a way as opposed to a, a more modern way, which is how I was using it up until then. Cool. So you brought up the credits. So songwriting credits for the album, you're all credited for each of the songs. Is that correct? For the 59 sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you contri- did you contribute much to the lyrics, or is that was that pretty much on Brian? L- lyrics are always Brian. Okay. Yeah, the music is, you know, he comes in with his guitar bit and the vocal bit, and then we put our stuff on top of it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say I where there was influence prior to him if that makes any sense mm-hmm. would be even cowgirls get the blues so i had that guitar line and i was just walking around backstage <laughs> playing it incessantly 
probably rather annoyingly. <laughs> um, and then like two days later, Brian asked if I could play it in a different key. And I'm, so I said, yeah. And he wrote the song around that. And I actually use it in my lessons as like an example of the melody comes first. You can end up with a progression that's a bit more out of the box from what you're used to doing kind of a thing. Because right. it is, I wouldn't say it sounds, it does, it's not that it doesn't sound like the Gaslight Anthem, but it, it has a different swing to it than, than some, most of the other stuff does. That, I feel like the end of everything I say, I go, does that make any sense? <laughs> I should stop saying that. Can you just like cut all those out? Sure, I can. Put I can, this thing I together. Can do some editing. Yeah, cool. All right, give me one or two stories about the production of this that maybe not everybody knows about. So there's the idea that you know, um, I mean, to this day I still play Jaguars. Like the guitar I used on that record is Fender Jazzmaster. I only got because Alex broke my guitar the day before we went in the studio oh and and me and him but we we probably had like a hundred bucks combined to our names at that time so it's not like i'm going out and buying a new guitar um and fender was nice enough to loan me a guitar for the recording session and i picked a jazz master because it was the only one that had the same pickups that i already had in my other guitar which was a, a gibson sg um, that I still have and it ended up like really kind of like defining what my guitar sound on that whole record was <laughs> which it would not have sounded like that with the SG you know and it's like uh, as Bob Ross would say it's uh, definitely a happy accident. happy accident yeah like that you know so it's I'm not going to say I'm grateful that Alex broke my guitar but he likes to think that I'm grateful <laughs> that he broke my guitar yeah, so he doesn't have to feel guilty that. about it. <laughs> um, that was a pretty fun one. Um, did they let you keep the guitar? Or did you have yes, to give it back? Yes, actually. At the end of it all, I got to keep it. And I played it for most of that record cycle. Um, and then I sold it. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't have a real attachment to it. Only because it was... Uh, they don't send you their best stuff. You know what I mean? Well, I'm sure they would have now... But back then, when we were, who the heck are these guys? Right. Send you something off the line. The neck was a bit wonky. It's okay. Um, I mean, I, I have, a, I have a, I'm sitting right next to a, a, a lovely new Fender right now. Um, so, yeah, nothing against them. But I was like, I wanted to get, I was on my Les Paul kick, I think, at that point. You know, guitar player in a rock band, you got to have a Les Paul. Sure. Yep. Let's see what else is there. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, a couple give us things. The dirt, man. So, the dirt. okay, here's a fun one. Um, in the middle of Miles Davis and the Cool Yells, Jackson. That was the uh, that was like the kid that they the studio hired to like go get the coffee and stuff like that. <laughs> that solves the whole mystery. And we were just always there goes one very of my notes. grateful. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was. I think that was on uh, all of our notes. Like, why does he say? Why does he say Jackson? Right? Because he was because Jackson. Jackson was a really nice kid, and Brian was like, you know what, man, I'm gonna put you on this record. Because Jackson is is my oldest son, and I, we call him the associate producer because he's the guy who puts together the lyrics and the sound clips for me. Nice. So I'm like, hey, 
associate producer is on this album, so mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, mystery solved. it was that was he's that's 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 why he's on there. Very good. Um, like he was in the middle. Ted was like, "You need to say something here. You can't just it can't just go into the next part. You have to like." say something and he's like i don't know what the and the kid came in jackson comes in with like six coffees he's like, you know what what's your name man he's like jackson he's like thank you jackson i'm gonna put you on this episode now. that's great um, that's awesome what else is there so who who is doing the yelling parts in patient ferris will like the refrains yeah uh, uh, the refrain you mean at the end like the, like the, the fight, about, fight it about it parts. Yeah, fight about it. Oh, yeah. that's Dicky. That's Dicky okay. Barrett. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, obvious. I feel like that's an obvious. One. Like that man's voice is I apparent. To I'm so. I'm not to offend you, Kevin, but I don't. I don't listen to. Oh, you can edit that part out. Or the, he, used to, he did the, used to do the Jimmy Kimmel show too. He was the announcer for them. Right. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, obviously. Like I, I said, Ted, Ted called in all of his friends. And, so <laughs> Ted called in as many of his friends that were in town in that week and a half we recorded. So for the live, is it you and and me and, and Alex, Alex do it live? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And I try to do my best Dicky impression. That's probably <laughs> miserable in comparison. All right. Anything else before we? Dive in track by track. All, I'm ready. All good, Alex. Do you do you want to do you want to hang on and listen to us talk about your record or your life? I mean, I I am pretty interested. I am. I'm not gonna admit. <laughs> invested, uh, I'm gonna admit. I'm a little now. interested, but I. How long is it going to go? We don't know. Because uh, I feel knows. like normally this is like two guys lists. And now it's four guys lists, right? This 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 could this go could another hour. At yeah. Least. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be. I don't. I don't mean to be rude, but in <laughs> that case, I f- I feel like I might affect some of your guys' answers <laughs> with my reactions. You know, I don't have the best poker face. That would be part of the I, fun, I, though. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how cool would it be to, you know, be told that's a shitty score from somebody? <laughs> I started drinking earlier. Yeah, so I, yeah, you know, I, I can do this. Yeah, like again, like I said, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll let you go. <laughs> sitting here listening yeah. to it for you guys, Alex. Talks. Thank you so you know. much for, oh, of course. for, of course, for joining right. us for a few minutes. Thank you. And um, absolutely, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to surprise Kevin and and Craig, and um, hopefully that was you did, worth, especially Kevin. <laughs> you did, you did. You're, you're, you're the one who has been contributing to us and helping us keep the podcast afloat. So, awesome. um, hopefully that was that was worth it. So, yeah. thank you. Let Alex. me let me just let me say to Alex real quick. You guys were I, I saw the ten year tour a few years ago. Okay. You guys were the bomb. It was huh. uh, definitely top five shows I've been to. And uh, oh, sick. Which, my brother and I had a, had a ball. Uh, we came to see you in Chicago. Oh, in Chicago. All right, because you're Michigan. Right, right. The yeah. Misses so, also, the misses is also where in Michigan are you from? Uh, Traverse City. Oh, okay. I know where that is. Cool. Yeah. So it was a it was a wild show, and we had a great time. We were caught up in the in the mosh pit. Chicago and, was Chicago uh, was a really good Chicago was a really good show. That might have been outside of the Jersey shows. The yeah, best show it was on it was awesome. I was so glad to get to see the whole record and and uh, see you guys. If that's if that's the last tour, it was a 
good way to to go out at least on the on the fans end hopefully hopefully for you guys too so uh just wanted to say that sure i mean i yeah i you know i yeah those shows were awesome man you know i i had a blast doing those it was the whole thing with is you know like i kind of said at the beginning we're not going to try to do something just to do it and try to like uh, phone right. it in as it were i feel like that kind of that comes across very i i think it's obvious when that kind of a thing happens you know brian wanted to do his solo stuff i had a couple other ideas i wanted to do as well you know and you know maybe when all of these things kind of reach their fruition that something else ins- gets inspired you know but as of now they're the last <laughs> the last shows we've played for sure right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see so we'll Will there be a ten-year tour for Get Hurt in twenty twenty-four? I haven't. I, if it's news to me, if there is, I haven't heard anything about that yet. Sorry. Okay. How do we? How do we start the, um, the campaign petition? Change.org. I don't know. Hashtag Get Hurt. <laughs> get the pitchfork. Get, get the pitchfork review taken down. Then I'll start it. <laughs> That's Jeepers yeah, creepers. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah. Very, very much. Appreciate yeah, you coming course, on. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. All right. You felt it start to derail. <laughs> that one guy's been drinking. He's like, they're going to start talking bad about it. About it. No, that we're is, not. Yeah, it's absolutely probably not going to happen. No. Going to have a All right. giant love fest. Bad scores. You know what? As soon as he left, I knew there was one other question. Because all the stuff that I read was, it seemed like this album was better received in England. Like, they put out three singles in England, but only the one single here in the States. And I wasn't sure why that was. It is... Does does England have like a New Jersey fetish that no, I love, just don't they know love about? Old things. They love old Feel things. It. England likes rock music more. <laughs> That's there's probably some yeah. truth to that. Yeah, there's probably some truth to that. All right, I think we got all the pre-production let's, stuff. Let's roll right? on. Let's yeah. let's go let's go track by track. As a reminder, our scores are based off a of number of songs on the record. Wayne, twelve. Okay, so top song's going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11 on down to lowest score of one. So we're going to kick this off with Great Expectations. Great expectations. I have the benefit of seeing scores. So, Kevin, get us started about great expectations. Oh, like you, like you like to do. This one punches you in the face, right, right from the get go. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, you know the record scratch. Like Alex talked about the record scratch. I mean, it's 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 amazing. I love this song. It's it it 
it really starts you out on a good note. Really sets up the record for you. Yeah, this week I was kind of listening to it from a. Is this a concept record? It's not, but I think there's a lot of the same themes Definitely. in a lot of the songs. Yeah, for sure. There's 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 callbacks to to, to other songs. Um, yeah, almost every song has some little connection, whether it's just a word or a phrase to the either the next song or a couple songs yeah. later. They're all very much tied together. But even and, but even thematically, like. Uh, I will say Craig's review had a huge effect on me because I'd never listened to it from that angle. But when you listen to this, this is that era after you've become... So you're an adult and you uh, you do some of the more crazy stuff. And then there's that that section where you, you've got to... Like, I, I allude to it in another song because one of my favorite songs is The Patient Ferris Wheel. And I think Ferris Wheel is a great analogy for adult life. But for that sure. that section in between there is a roller coaster. And roller coasters are fun. And when you're 20, 21, 22, 23, who, that, let's ride the roller coaster. Who wants to be on the fucking Ferris Wheel? But eventually you realize the Ferris Wheel is where it's at. We got to get to the Ferris Wheel. And I think this whole record does revolve around those times in between and before you get when you've realized that the roller coaster is dangerous and you just can't do this all the time without throwing up and you got to get to the Ferris wheel. Do you realize you swear more often when I'm actually in the same room? As <laughs> yeah. You? <laughs> he does it just to get a reaction out of me. I'm like, we want to keep this PG-13 and Wayne's like, F that. I'm, Good luck. I'm not going to do that. Craig, anything on... Great expectation. Yeah, yeah, a couple things. I, uh, Wayne alluded to the review I wrote, which that was for the ten year in in uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, and basically, the way I kind of see this record is kind of this, uh, you know, the journey from youth to adulthood. And I think I'll probably allude to that multiple times throughout this podcast. But um, yeah. you know, this this song is very much. You know, a lot of youth is about, you know, waiting around in, in, in parking lots or cars or friends' houses or in diners, listening to music and waiting for, you know, the night to call you off towards some rambunctious adventure and uh, having great expectations for that. So I think this song is sort of the perfect kickoff to that. And like, I mean, come on, in, in the annals of great opening track titles, just titles. Uh, great expectations. You can't do much better than that. It's sort of this uh, this immense called shot. Like they knew, they knew somehow that they were making a masterpiece, and uh, they they put it right there in the first track. So uh, yeah, love this song. I still want to know what the song is from 1962 that Bob Seger and this band is humming. <laughs> well, and like I say, that's still the first time know. he does that, but he does that so much that now anytime he says anything, I want to, I, I almost can feel like it into a, a song. Yeah. But to me, this whole song, the most, the, this whole song revolves around that, those two lines about, uh, she, uh, the diner where I'd always used to find her cleaning young men's, blood from her claws and then right after it he, he says i learned about the blues from this kitten i knew and i and what's funny is it took me a little bit but he says it when you look at those two lines it sounds like two different people but who cleans their claws but cats so it's 
And then when you and I am going to admit I haven't read Great Expectations, but I have perused the Wikipedia article to make sure that I had some of the facts straight. And it's it's all about unrequited love. And like I say, making that so taking that one person, but splitting it because you have to because there's part of it, you know, part of that relationship is a friendship. This, you know, in the book, there are two orphans that go that get put two different families and go separate lives, but he always loves her and wants more and is never going to get it from her. And so you've got to separate that from, so the, the part of this, this one girl that you love, but also this girl that's your friend and he does it. And I think that's, to me, that's the whole song boils down to the, the, to that section where he makes it sound like two different people because the central character has to separate that part from this other part. Um, it, I think to ultimately that's the one of the most brilliant parts of the song. Like I say, the needle drop, they play the guitar riff, those notes over again to make it sound like a skip. They do. Yeah, I love that. They really I pull out all the stops yeah. to open this record up. I mean, this is definitely introducing them to the world in a in a in a the best way. By the way, the song from 1962 is uh, "Be My Baby" by yeah, the Ramones. I just googled it too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Supposedly. According to Bob Seger. For me. Okay. <laughs> According to Bob Seger, yeah. But here he's definitely he's definitely referencing Seger. So I always think of, you know, listening to Seger with, with, with buddies growing up. So I think that's uh you know, the callback. Yeah, if you're from Michigan, I think you have to. Oh yeah. Yeah. The rite of passage. You have to know, know Bob Seger. Yeah. All right, let's get scores. Wayne. Eleven. Uh this is this is a great way to start a record. This is a great way to introduce yourself to the world. A real tone setter. Yep. All right, Kevin. Same thing, 11. Okay, Craig. Yeah, I think I told you I wanted three 11s on this record, and this song is one of the reasons why. Ultimately, it's my nine. <laughs> yep. All right, this is my seven, believe it or not, because I, I, wanted, I wanted a couple extra tens, so I get it. All right. Next song is the title track, 59 Sound. Alex already said to, to 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 us, no, we weren't going for the garage rock thing. But this song feels very garage rock, and and I don't say that in a in a mean way. No. I I view like social distortion or the Ramones as, just strip away yeah. the one thing that's yeah. like I say they get connection they get uh. Com- uh the, the Bruce Springsteen connection is always going to be there. But the one thing, the E Street Band has like 25 people in it. And <laughs> there's just four people here. There's, so there's no organ. There's no piano. There's, you know, no cars. The ba- yeah. So there's, so they've, they strip it back. Um, and, but there is those echoes of Chuck Berry and Gene Vincent and Buddy Holly, yes. Elvis Presley. You can hear them in the sound not trying to sound i mean it's it's almost like it's evolution you can hear them 
you can hear where this whole thing came from. Yeah, so, I mean, this one, this song is, uh, I think it's probably the heaviest song on the album for me, um, for obvious reasons. But, you know, so much of this album is nostalgic romanticism. And I think that's what I assumed this song would be when I first listened to it, just because, you know, the title, it really seems like it's setting up this send-up of, uh, of radio sounds from yesteryear. But then you get through that first verse, and you kind of get to the point where, you know, you learn this is a song about friends dying in a car accident. And it's kind of this really smart, effective songwriting in that way, because, you know, Brian kind of holds off on giving you all the details of the story until the second verse. And then you kind of get to that bridge refrain of, of young boys, young girls ain't supposed to die on a Saturday night. And that's, uh, that's really, it really hits hard because it really comes apart across as, you know, that feeling you always feel when someone passes away, especially suddenly and in a shocking way and way too young, which is that, you know, this is something that should not have happened. So, um, you know, this song has always hit me really hard and I'll, I'll just read a quick, uh, a quick excerpt of what I wrote about it in 2018, which is that as I've gotten older, I've gained a better understanding of what the 50, 59 sound means. I think I, I meant the whole record there, but definitely this song. Uh, to a certain extent, Fallon was a guy stuck in the past on this record. Few albums wear their nostalgia so proudly. But he's not stuck in the past because he's romanticizing it, or because he's mourning the loss of rock and roll as a dominant cultural force. Instead, he's living in the past because he's a little bit scared of what the future might hold. Beneath all the references and vinyl pops and tributes to bygone days is a vulnerable record about the journey from youth to adulthood and about how scary and painful it can be. Who wouldn't want to look back when growing up means hearing that your friend died in a car wreck on a Saturday night? Or when sitting in a diner getting consolation sighs from the waitress because she knows you're nursing one hell of a broken heart. Except now the Tom Petty and Counting Crows songs don't offer the same refuge as they used to because instead of getting lost in them, you're wondering what it would be like to hear them coming over the radio during a car crash right before you stopped breathing. So that's sort of what this song means to me. It's like this, uh, you know, this flip of the script between romanticizing that question of, you know, what song would you like to hear last in your life? And then imagining, you know, a, a friend... Who, who passed away and actually had that moment, and there's nothing romantic about that. So uh, it's a heavy one, for sure. Kevin, any last thoughts before scores? Yeah, I, I, I guess I've read some interviews that this is kind of a true story, that Craig was, uh, that um, Brian was playing um, an open mic night, and a friend of his did pass away at, like on the way to the show. Um, yeah, just like like Craig said, it's a, it's a really heavy song, like, and it's it's a mixture because it's like, did you did you get to hear your favorite song while you were passing away? And I mean, it's it's, it's an amazing song. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Um, Brian does this in a, like a solo show in Germany. Do you ever see this YouTube video? And he does it on piano, no. and it's it's amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you a link to it. It's I like saw a very similar version. Yeah, in mm-hmm. Seattle. Yeah, it's like it's like black and white, and like the crowd is like they don't know the rhythms how to how to sing the song like slowly and and they eventually they do kind of get it and it, it's just an amazing video you have to you have to see it and like Very like cool. you can see Brian kind of like getting into their the way they're singing it's 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 really really neat amazing song i 
and I like the little nuances that they threw in there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's reference to the you know Marley's chains in there, and you hear that in the background. It's just those little well, even that connection from I mean, Great Expectations um, and the and the references to Dickens in the first song, yep. and then to at least keep them uh, alive. But also, also Marley's chains. I mean, he's he's chained to cash boxes and ledgers. I mean, it's about redemption. And not knowing, I mean, I love a, the, my favorite part of this song is that he, there's no guilt. A lot of times they'll be, they'll take a song like this and you'll you'll just smather it with guilt about not being there and your friend dies. And he has questions. I mean, he understands the tragedy for what it is, but the way he does it, he knows it's not his fault. And so that that comes through, and that oftentimes is is overemphasized in a song like this. But the first thing I thought of when he says that about uh, something. Uh, minor and slow as all I, w- I want to hear out to get me by Guns N' Roses I don't know why but that's it literally came to my mind when he sings that song every time um, so I, I'm at the exact opposite end of him but uh, I think Springsteen and him get lumped together because they they have the ability to write songs about things that they haven't experienced in a very passionate and genuine way and I this definitely you can feel and hear the personal connection to it yeah. It's just a tremendous song. And like I say, Ain't Supposed to Die on a Saturday Night, It's that's an incredible metaphor or analogy for this whole... I mean, that point in your life when you're, you know, 21, 24, you're going to concerts, you you have jobs that don't pay very well, that is Saturday. That's the Saturday night of your life, and you're, you're absolutely not supposed to die. No. All right. This is top score for me, Wayne. Yeah, this is the best. I mean, I have, there's a song I like that personally touches me every time I hear it, but this is the best song as far, in all, just all facets. This is a classic. It's never a good, as good thing as anything when Wayne Bruce and I agree. Done. It's never a good thing. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, what's your score? 10. And Craig? I've got a 10. I've got a 10 here as well. All right. Old White Lincoln is next. started on old one lincoln yeah I've, i i kind of feel like this song is sort of the the core of the album in a way because it encapsulates youthful nostalgia in such an authentic and effective way you know that first line is if i could write i'd tell you how much i miss those nights which you know i feel like that's kind of nostalgia in in a line but um 
what I've always loved about this song, and I think I've come to love even more with time, is how it's just sort of like these flickers of memory in in these images that are conveyed in the song. You know, it's not really a cohesive narrative, but it's just like these little images, um, you know, from the, the, the lighting cigarettes on parking meters to the sneakers that you wore when you were young to, you know, the the dress hanging on a clothesline on a on a summer night and the top rolled down on a Saturday night. So I, I love all those images and how they kind of flicker across the screen almost, you know, uh, conveying a time in your life, I think, that you remember really fondly, but you don't necessarily always remember all the uh, specific memories of. So that's, I guess, what this song conveys to me. And, uh, you know, I just, for me, it's one of the best choruses on the record, too. So, uh, Definitely. yeah, another yeah. top tier track. Me. Yeah, big hook in the chorus, and like I say, also he he leans right into my wheelhouse with girls in tattoos and Chuck Taylors driving old. The thing is, old fifty five now because that he does that so much. I don't know if that's a Tom Waits reference or it's not. It's gotta be. You can't rule it out. <laughs> it has to be. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Wayne, did you did you hear kind of the same thing at the beginning of the song? Because I feel like. I feel like the bass line, they tried to like do a little just like heaven. It's very Simon Gallup oh. at the beginning. Yeah, well, and I like to say, I think they don't go to the, they start, they use the car starting. Um, yeah. I do like, what's funny is you bring up the cure. I watched, I did go see him a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's when he one was, of the reasons um, why I brought it up. And when he did, is it, I think it's Pictures Lady Killers. Yeah. yeah, he, he, he's, he's kind of segues real just, so beautifully and subtly into pictures of you uh, during that song. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's there's definitely a Cure influence somewhere there. But yeah, this one is just, like I say, he really gets me with the chorus on this one. Yeah, I've always heard the Cure on that song. Yeah, me too. Kevin, any any comments on? Yeah, I don't know. If, have you guys one? heard the, the 59 sound sessions that the kind of demos they did 10 years later they put out? Um the the, the interesting thing about this song is that is there's a song on there and it, they actually call it placeholder like it's you know <laughs> like they were they're kind of working things out and um, the song is not that it's not it's kind of the music is pretty much the same as this song but it's the the lyrics are all different but there's like you know, the lyrics are basically Brian singing hold on Maria like a lot <laughs> but then like this the high top sneakers and the sailor tattoos comes in as a bridge and it's like it's it's you could tell it's from another it feels like it's from another song and that they, you could tell that they 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 took that and then built this song about it and it was you know a great idea cuz i love this song so it's 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 kind of funny cuz it's like they they kind of threw out all this the rest of the song <laughs> for, for that for that bridge which is amazing yeah. like craig said Wayne, any last thoughts before we get scores? I just what I read. I I listened to the song. There's a lot of there's a lot of things he doesn't. You don't necessarily lyrics that you don't kind of that don't rise out. And then when I read it, and the first line is "If I could write," and I thought, "Oh my God, if he yeah, yes, you can. Yeah, you absolutely <laughs> I, can." I put that in my notes as well. I'm like, uh, if you can write, yeah, the you ulti- can. The you ultimate, got it. Uh, self-deprecating. But I think that that's 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 him early in his career like i don't think he he would write another line like that but early in that career 
there's a confidence in this album, but I also think that there's a lot of songs on here where there's a lot of self-doubt as well, where they're like, we want to convince ourselves that we're rock stars and we're going to make it big, but, I mean, you heard Alex earlier, and a hundred bucks to my name. <laughs> and that was the rest <laughs> of the band. Yards, it wasn't just Alex who was broke. The rest of the band was broke as well. So, yeah. All right, scores. Wayne, what do you got? Eight. Craig? Yeah, this is my 11. Coin toss between this and the title track, but I think I've, this one has really resonated with me more over time as I've gotten older. So, yeah, it's my second favorite. Gotcha. Kevin? This is my seven. Okay. And um, this is my 10. High Lonesome is next. talked about the multiple musical references song references um i got the counting crows i got the tom petty out of this were, were there more oh absolutely uh i, I didn't do billy joel's do in there right dive on that no, 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 like, uh, gonna be, wake up with the sheet soaking wet is from i'm on fire uh, that's, that's bruce what's yeah. funny yeah. is i've been bruce listening Tr- to bruce. david bowie's uh, discography from beginning and i just finished uh, uh uh young americans he gave john lennon a, a songwriting credit for i i heard the news today oh boy <laughs> so adam duritz and springsteen need to <laughs> they yeah. need to they need to talk to brian like anybody less cool yeah. <laughs> adam duritz has a case like he has a, oh, a case sure. he's just the whole chorus yeah, yeah. All the chords. But I like I. One of the things that that really drew me into this record is that uh, the first time I heard, it, I didn't know you could write songs like that. I still don't. Like, is that theft? I, I'm not sure. But you know, it was really fun to hear all these lines oh, and all these references that you know. And it's like, are you are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to just like take these parts and and build your own thing? And I mean, like you know, people do that all the time with you know melodies and and guitar riffs and chord progressions. Happens a little less with lyrics, I feel like. So, and uh, Brian never did it quite as much after this record, but that that was always exciting to me. And uh, one of the things, just in in researching this, I found kind of his uh, his reasoning, I guess, for lifting that that round here reference for the chorus. And he said, "I always get asked why there are Counting Crows lyrics in High Lonesome." And it was strictly because I was trying to make what I thought at the time was the most punk punk statement I could make. I was like, we don't follow your rules of what can and of what we can and can't listen to. And I'm going to go ahead and put what you might what you might view as the most not punk band in the world on the record. And you can love it or leave it. So I, I always loved that, particularly because I'm a I'm a big Counting Crows fan and August is probably one of my 10 or 15 favorite records of all time, as is this. So 
uh, that always resonated with me, and I liked that he was kind of putting them in the same same breath as you know Springsteen or Petty or someone like that. Yeah. And shameless plug, we're recording this on the day that I release the This Desert Life episode, where we break right. down that Counting yeah. Crows album, which it's not as not as good as August and everything after, <laughs> but it's my second favorite. Counting Crows album. But I think it works also because like I say, if you read the lyrics of the song, you listen to the song, this is this is a this is those girls in that seem to be the central figures in a lot of these songs that have done him wrong a little bit later, a little bit down the road, where things aren't so uh where things haven't worked out so well and their looks may have faded and so in a lot of ways I think you know like Adam Duritz has said, Maria is a, an amalgamation of a lot of different women that he's met in his life. And I feel like he, this, this is a, a lot of that. It, there's a lot of that in this song here. Like he's kind of writing about his own Maria. Yeah. Kevin, what do you got on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, the references on this album are just so timeless. I mean, like, you know, there's this line, classic cars and outlaw, outlaw, outlaw cowboy vans. I mean, it just fits with everything else. I mean, you you got Dickens, you got Humphrey Bogart, you got Marilyn Monroe on this record, Audrey Hepburn. I mean, it's <laughs> like all these old, old references. Like, I think that's kind of what makes this album timeless. It's like because the, the references are, are timeless. All right, let's get scores. This is my nine. Wayne? Uh, and like I say, I, I broke this thing up into three categories. There's these songs that I just absolutely love with a passion then there's these this this middle section of songs that I just really really love, and then the bottom four songs I that I love, and this this falls into that second category. I think that like you said, I think the Outlaw Cowboy Band. I know he's a big Social Distortion fan, so I like to believe that that Outlaw Cowboy Band is Social D, uh, but this <laughs> this only out of five. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, this is where I also start hating my scores because I gave this a six, and that just feels uh, wrong. But there, there are too many great songs and not enough high numbers. So there we are. I get it. I get it. Kevin, this is my eight. Okay. Film noir is next. I'm just going to punt this over to Wayne because you had the highest score out of all of us. Well, you know what? I, I love the, that struggle. That there's a, there's a struggle in it. It's got a great chorus. It's full of passion. I do believe my first note is he has to work on his fictional nicknames. <laughs> Broken Bones Matilda. He's got a couple other weak ones coming up. He's got he, you know, to get with Bruce and work on sometimes less is more. You know, Johnny 99 whatever ramrod we got to do something but broken bones matilda was probably the the my least favorite line but i love the chorus <laughs> that whole uh setting a fire that wouldn't go out you know that there's That's a great chorus. there is passion in this song when he he really um he commits 100 percent, and this and and that's something that i hear in this song 
Can we all agree that this is probably the most Springsteen song, though? Oh, I think I have another one earmarked for that. That this is this for me is the most. No, I have an I haven't I have yeah. another one where I believe I said those exact words. <laughs> yeah, I I did too. I mean, there's another one that's like basically f- f- start to finish Springsteen references. Yeah, I, I was just saying my favorite. I think this is uh, one of Brian's best vocals on the record, and even though I scored it pretty low uh the part where he sings going into that second chorus and the fools in the night in the heat of the day when all you ever really wanted was for someone to understand i just love the delivery there so uh there yeah as as wayne was saying there's definitely a lot of passion in this song and just the the way he sings it really sticks with me even though it's uh not one of my personal favorites gotcha kevin anything yeah this one um this one i really hear the Springsteen in it a lot, you know, 10 long years I've been hustling around, that that sort of like working man kind of, I, I think the thing was, the funny thing is I think like, you know, I lit a fire, you know, like I'm trying to warm the house, I'm trying to like provide, and then the house ends up burning down, you know, so I, I think there's kind of a, kind of a funny thing there that's like, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that's that analogy, I think that that's a great lyric there. I think Wayne's next tattoo needs to be open wounds and a young boy's pride. That needs to be your next tattoo. That is a long way from alone I keep the wolves at bay. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I like the way, because the thing is he doesn't, once again, he doesn't get into specifics on most stuff. But, I mean, if you look at the timeline, those 10 long years are him trying to be a, a a prof- you know a professional musician, trying to make a living at this. And even though it's not working in a factory or, you know, making tires or making uh, Cadillacs or whatever, it's still his passion and he's still, he is still hustling. He's still busting his ass to do it. And once again, these these women with their Monroe hips and their poison lips are boarding him at every turn. <laughs> yeah. All right, Wayne. And their broken bones, apparently. Uh, nine. Yeah, they will They'll break your bones. Yeah, I gave this a nine. Okay. Craig. Yeah, this is my two. I feel bad. Kevin. Um, this is my five. Okay, I'm matching your five. All right, next song: Miles Davis and the Cool. Big notes. My my biggest note on here was who's Jackson and Alex already <laughs> revealed right. secret to us. So. That was the highlight of this show. When he said that, I was like, I that's right. Highlighted. Who is Jackson? We've we've got the truth. Epi- episode <laughs> over. Yeah, that's right. We should have just stopped it right there. We're like, we should play a game. Who has the most song references in here? Because I have three. I have Mr. Pitiful. I have Otis Redding. Okay. Aim is True by Elvis Costello and Diamond Sold Shoes by Paul Simon. Death, yeah, I, had that I only one. had the Elvis. I think, honey, put on your red dress. It'd be Lady in Red, too. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I had the Diamond Sold Shoes. That's definitely a Paul Simon. It's got to be. And there's a lot of references to Papa. He, I don't know if he was a Rolling Stone or not, but he may have had a brand <laughs> new bag. It's hard to say. Right. right. 
right. Anyone else got uh, got anything on this, Craig? Anything? Yeah, I'll just I'll just like some days. Some days this is my favorite chorus on the record. I just love that. Don't wait too long to come home. My how the years and our youth passed on. That idea of kind of, you know. Leaving the light on as if you can find your way back to youthful innocence, yeah. like you can find your way back to a place. I, I, I'd love that. And I kind of just love the image of, uh, you know, that to- the tossing pebbles at a girl's window at night, praying that she'll be home and that she'll look out the window and that she'll, you know, want to come out with you and then fall in love with you. And then sort of the, you know, the disbelief in the, in the lyrics when that happens, when he sings like, because I never had a good thing and I always had the blues. So I love that part. I'm not surprised that Alex loves this song because uh, I, I think it's really kind of vintage gaslight. The the chorus is the reason why I gave this my eight. I love this chorus. Yeah, and, and once again, I that's the thing that was so difficult about scoring this is like I don't, I wouldn't even say, I, I would say I I love this song. I really like this song. I will say my score came down to my uh, cynical nature of people who say they love jazz. I, I I don't I I think they're full of shit every time. Like I like it. I like some of it and I love what it I love its influence on rock and roll, but I've listened to some of Coltrane stuff after or after Love Supreme and it's it's just noise. It's crazy. Like people yeah. give Sonic Youth a bad time and I'm telling you John Coltrane kicks their ass. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is this is my deuce. Okay. Kevin, your score? Uh, six. All right. Craig? And it's my seven. All right. Patient Ferris Will is next. score of all you guys really i love this i am shocked by that i thought for sure i would no and that's that's uh, when i when you sent me over your scores i'm like (laughs) this is about the the punk the most punk rock song on the album i think and the fact that I scored this higher than you, are you rubbing off on me or I, what? You know what? I hope so. This was okay. my 12 <laughs> and then I, and then my 11. And it's like I say, because it, it's so personal. I think those other two songs, I think those other two songs have a, I think as a, from a quality standpoint and a songwriting standpoint, I think they, they check more boxes and they're better songs. Like this one is just, I always felt it's just deeply personal to me. Like there's... There's lines, uh, 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 the line about uh, thinking about what my mother said. Like, I I have a horrible relationship with my mother. And so that just that line about something she said creates all these images in my mind of things she said and things that she did. Um, the ambulance line, uh, ambulances take people from one tragedy 
you know, to a, a place full of broken people. And there's this that line about maybe I should call an ambulance. Like, I think something's wrong with me. I'm not sure anybody. And I have to call them because nobody else sees it. So there's all kinds of things. There's this incredible angst and intensity in the song in general. And like I said earlier, I think the Ferris wheel is an incredible analogy for not just not necessarily adult life, but getting to a, a safe, nice, comfortable place in adult life. <laughs> off the roller coaster, off the tilt-a-whirl, on to the Ferris wheel, where it's nice and slow, and it's just going around and around and around. It's still fun, especially if you're with you know <laughs> the right person, but it's not it's not dangerous and it's not going to make you throw up. No, and there's a loneliness to this this song. I mean, there there's that line of maybe I should call me an ambulance. That was m- exactly my thought when I when he keeps bringing that up, and I feel like the vocal itself kind of throws that loneliness of nobody else is calling me the ambulance yeah. i'm doing it myself is it just like, me here like how hello how, is this how, thing on yeah how sad is that that i'm the one having to call my own damn ambulance like that's that that always hits me and that's why i this is one of my this is the this is one that i wanted to have a second 12 i love this song Kevin, I haven't heard from you. Um, yeah, it is weird. It's like you you call song patient Ferris wheel and you mention an ambulance. You think there's some kind of accident, but then it's like something his mother always says, and it's like I don't, I don't, it's very confusing. I mean, it's it's great. It's a great sing along <laughs> song, but I, I I really don't understand what what he's going for there. But uh, yeah, like like I said, it's great. I love I love to sing along with it. That's that's for sure. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, I just, you know, they call it the patient Ferris wheel, but I just, it's one of those songs on this record, and there are many, that really feel like they have this kinetic energy to me. And it's like that whole band firing on all cylinders, and uh, that insistent beat, and the way the guitar riff and the chorus kind of, you know, hooks up to the, the top line, and then kind of mimics, you know, a Ferris wheel going going round and round. I love that that sound that they hit together there and then that hook just kind of propelling toward the sky and it really captures i think the spirit of the song title and the you know the the possibility that a ferris wheel and kind of a a night out at the carnival symbolizes when you're young so yeah i love this song too it's it's another one where i wish i had more high numbers to give yeah no i saw i saw your score i'm like craig come on craig (laughs) What what is your score? I was disappointed Craig? in myself. So <laughs> what's your score, Craig? This is my five. Okay. Kevin. This is my nine. Wayne. Uh and I will say I agree with Craig. This is the best. I this is my favorite guitar work on it, and this is my ten. Alright, this is my eleven. Alright, next song. Casanova baby. with an exclamation at the end. <laughs> First of all, that cost him, points-wise. Because uh, at this point, I'm trying to find anything. 
to justify my score. Uh, you, you gave it a lower score because of the exclamation point? I, I, think, I think I did. Okay. Actually, I, well, actually, I, the baby I, I gotta say, based, I may have risen it, I may have, it may have risen because of the uh, exclamation point. Because there were times where this was my one, not because I hate it. Uh, this is the, to me, this was the most Bruce Springsteen song on the record. Um, and I think this is where at some point, because Dead Man's Town, which is a uh, there that's referenced in uh, Born in the USA, the song. Yep. Um, and at now, like I say, with Old Fifty Five, he says Virginia. I am immediately thinking only the good die young by Billy Joel. Like he's now got <laughs> trying to. I mean, oh. Busting Sally's referenced. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy the song, or I, I never skip anything on here. It was maybe it just it just didn't. It just didn't blow me away. Okay, you like, want to hear my sad rationale on why this is my one? I, please, absolutely. I don't know who the hell Virginia is in this. That was my only. That was my only. <laughs> my only criteria for giving it my one because I just don't know who Virginia is. She's Jackson's boss. I think that falls in line with Mary. Maybe, yeah. All right. She's Billy, the center of. Uh, she's the central character in uh, I, Only the Good Die Young I by do, Billy Joel. Yeah, she's the Catholic schoolgirl, right? Yeah. 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 That's right. Long Island's just north of Jersey. This is also my one, and I I feel kind of bad about that. You know, I can't think of many records with with a one that is stronger than this, so I think that's worth noting. And also, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Every Soul Man Song is a Night I'd Like to Spend With You is a world-class pickup line. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, any last comments before we get... Yeah, he he goes nuts with the song references on this one. Um, Twisting the Night Away, I just, quarter past three. I just realized <laughs> he hit two Wilson Pickets in one right back-to-back. Twisting the Night Away, quarter hour, past three. Quarter past three. Midnight <laughs> Hour, Midnight Sally, Mustang Sally. Uh, I mean, and he goes... I, I The one line uh, I do love in the song is uh, Run All Night and Dance Upon the Architecture. But it, like he goes overboard oh, yeah. with the with the song references on this. It's it's a little much. It's actually it, this is my two because of the Nick song. <laughs> yeah, heart heart of stone. I'll take you home. I'm assuming those are references. <laughs> well, I don't think heart of stone is because I that's. But it's a stone uh, song, right? Heart of stone. That's yeah. That's there's that I think it's yeah. there's several people have written heart of stone songs. I know, but come on. Okay. But uh, twisting the night away is. Pretty I, feel, I feel like if if it's an O'Brien Fallon song and it's something else, you can assume it's a, yeah. a reference. Yeah, and <laughs> like I say, now I'm finding some of them. I'm not even sure they are, but it's almost like an Easter egg thing. <laughs> right. All right. I already said this is my one. Craig, you already mentioned that's your one. So we just need to hear Wayne. Uh, three. I think okay. the exclamation point might have raised it up. The <laughs> conviction. <laughs> the conviction in the title. <laughs> See, I gave, I gave it... It made you feel excited, yeah, right? Like, yeah. Casanova, baby! I gave it less points for that. All right, Kevin, what was yours? <laughs> this is the two. Okay. All right, next is Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Is that our lowest? Uh, Collectively, yes. And then... Spoiler alert, this is the second least favorite. <laughs> and I will say this, that a this, lot of this it, song we're coming into right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I gave this my lowest score, and I think I can tie most of it to, no, first of all, Angry Johnny. That worked for Poe. It doesn't work here. It's better than Broken Bones Matilda. But he Not lists... Not Edgar Allan Poe, but Poe. <laughs> yeah, right. Poe. Okay. He lists three people. You can't... Three people can't get married. Um... Right, don't... That I watched. I watched what was what is that? What's that Netflix? The Tiger King or whatever it is. Interesting. I watched Tiger King. I, first yeah. of all, I'm pretty sure the Tiger King did a lot of stuff that don't. Was, it's not actually legal. You can't legally marry three. You should be able to legally marry whoever you want, but you still can't marry two of them well, or King one did. of each. It does. Okay. I like this justification for uh, ranking this song. See, that's what we're, that's we're what grasping at straws for lower scores. That's what I'm talking you to, about. You have to have a rationale for something. All right. Past the breakers, oh, I'm assuming. Everclear reference? I don't think so. I think Swim uh, up past the breakers, that, watch the world die. That's yeah. the... That's the other thing that made me sad is that I'm Angry Johnny in this whole st- in this story. I mean, like I say, I... Got my high school girlfriend pregnant, and I wasn't playing pinball or getting out past the breakers with, oh. with Ben and his friends, his other friends. You make it sound like we were <laughs> really living high on the hog. We weren't. But but you still love Tom Petty songs. Uh, we do. And I, yeah, it, I drive old men crazy. Well, only my two old men, but still, I drove them crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reference to Little Eden. That's record label for Brian, correct? Wow. I just know yeah. Eden's referenced again in another song. I believe that's his record. He mentions Little Eden in the blue jeans and white t-shirts, too. So well, Angry, jo- Angry Johnny is a song on the first album, right? Angry Johnny and the Radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. Look at that. And Sandy and Mary are classic Springsteen names. <laughs> sure. Well, that's, what's, that, that's the other thing that's ironic about that. So he lists three people. One is clearly a, a, a predominantly male... Name, Johnny, Mary, female, Sandy, ambiguous. <laughs> but you still can't marry three people. Still... I think it's a reference <laughs> yeah. to Greece. That's what I think it is. I think it's a reference to Livy Newton-John. Maybe but Sandy is like uh, a, someone's kid or something. I don't know. See, <laughs> anyway. see trying to justify <laughs> our missing. crappy scores <laughs> on this. That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. All right, this is my three. Wayne? This was my this was my one. Okay, Craig, what was yours? I'll do a little defense of this one. Yeah, this one is uh this my three. I think it is kind of the um, the consensus weakest song on the album among fans, maybe. But you know, seeing this one live at the ten year tour was kind of it just like is really epic in that setting, and I think it sticks out a little more. Uh, in that setting as a, a highlight, sort of. And I just really like that bridge part where the band drops out and Brian sings the tell your papa you'll be home when the good feeling dies and then the band explodes back in. And I think maybe that's a little more effective in a live show, so that might be why I'm ranking it a tad higher than, than my my dead last. But, gotcha. uh, yeah, I, I still love this song, and I still love Tom Petty songs, too, so I, I appreciate that message. All right, Kevin. This is my one, and I'm and I'm kind of glad that Alex didn't hang around to hear that because he's <laughs> talking about the riff <laughs> that he came up with the riff for it. Right. All right. Meet me by the river's edge. That's next. 
Okay. Is this where you're going to say this is most Bruce song? Since he says... Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is what I was... I was I was holding that gun there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, definitely. And like maybe wise. a reference to racing in the streets and the river and and beat me. What was the uh, the one on washing the, the sins away in the water? The one on Born to Run, meeting across the river. Okay. Is he hawk? Yeah. Is he hawking a radio in this? Meeting one? across the river. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you. Well, this one and not only so he mentions no surrender in Bobby Jean, which is actually how they appear in order on. Born in the USA, so he he he, yeah, he went a little bit over the top. Well, on the record, yeah, one of the best one-two punches in the Bruce catalog, yeah. right there. Sure. All right, another reference to Sally here. But the reference that's missing is the animals. We got to get out of this place because that's really the whole theme of this song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, lots of escapism here, but that's also a very Springsteen thing. And I and I was just listening to this while I was on my way to a Wilco show on the 101 in California. So there's a reference there to to this. So there we go. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's a wonderful bridge. I love that part of the song. All right. Kevin, anything? No, this is my four. Okay. Easy enough. It's my four as well. Wayne? Oh, my goodness. That's the third four in a row. He does mention Eden from the previous track and Grandma from, well, Grandmama, but still a variation from the title track. Okay. Craig? Yeah, just a quick digression here. The first review I ever read about this record was uh, was at Absolute Punk, which is kind of the precursor to Chorus.fm, so I ended up writing for them. But it was uh, the key quote, I think, in that is the album... The killers wanted to make with Samstown, but were ins- unsuccessful at. And I personally love Samstown, but uh, and I kind of see the point uh, with this song, which really sounds kind of like uh, "This River Is Wild" on Samstown, a similar Brucey song. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, Brian and company do do that sound a little bit better. So. Yeah, this is my eight. I actually love this song, and I think part of the reason is that I think it's so Springsteen-centric, and uh, obviously Bruce is a big hero of mine, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Here's looking at you, kid, as second-to-last song. Tell Jane if she writes That I'm drunk off all these stars And all these crazy Hollywood nights And that's total deceit but should have married me And tell her I spent every night of my youth on the floor Bleeding out from all these wounds And I would have gotten her right out of that town she despised You tell that to Jamie Kicking this over to you, Wayne, because you had the highest score out of all of us. Um, I, you know what? I like the different sound. Um, it's... You know, it's not there isn't anything on the album musically that sounds like it. Um, and also, I like I, I like this callback to you know these girls from before, because he's also I mean a lot of times that'll get uh, spiteful or uh, they'll rub you'll rub it in their face because he has had success. And I once again I think he he more or less in some ways acknowledges their influence on his his songs i mean i think you can see when you look back on the record as a whole now 
you can see Gail and Jane and Anna in some of those, you know, tattooed girls, the girl, you know, with Monroe hips. I mean, they're, I think they're back there. And so he's not, he isn't rubbing it in their face and he isn't spiteful. He actually is appreciative of the influence they've had on, on his success. Cause he's mentioned it's not easy. Like this has been a struggle. This has been, uh, he's worked tirelessly towards this and he's starting to see it now. And they, they were a part of that. Beth, I think this is the best opening or first verse on the, on the, on the album though. Where it's like you can tell Gail if she calls that I'm famous now for all these rock and roll songs. And even if that's a lie, she should have given me a try. I love that. I love that verse. Everybody's got a Gail. Yeah. I I have probably more than one Gail, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kevin, anything? Yeah, this song... um this song's kind of funny. It, it feels like he's talking to some waitress who's like kind of rolling her eyes <laughs> while he's talking. Um, it, it it's perfectly placed. I think this song. I think it's a it's a nice come down before the the last song. Um, Absolutely. But it, yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of necessary where where it's slotted. Bad about my score, but but I do like this song. Uh, Craig, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think I tend to underrate this one as well because it's really the only real ballad on the album and the only really the only real break in this otherwise unstoppable momentum that we have. So I think my score is maybe a little lower because of that because it kind of takes me out of uh, you know what I go to this album for. But you know, as a lyrical piece, this song is so effective. Like those those verses and the way that he starts them all kind of, you know, parallelism. You can tell Gail if she calls, you can tell Jane if she writes, you remind Anna if she asks why. You know, that idea of kind of wanting to explain yourself to to exes or to, you know, the the ones who got away or to like basically display to them how happy you are, or how successful you are, uh, when when they're probably not even thinking of you. You know, I think that's a, just a, a really effective way to convey loneliness, and I think that's ultimately the word I would use to describe this song, which is uh, loneliness and kind of that idea of the waitress serving his coffee with a consolation sigh, yeah. and she's the only other actual character in the song, and she has served this guy night after night who's in there nursing his broken heart or waiting for a girl who never shows up, and... uh He's trying to convince himself that he's fine, but but he's really not. So I think, uh, like you guys said, it's a really effective uh, penultimate track, kind of to to tee off the last song. Yep. I hate my two. Wayne? Six. Greg? Yeah, I hate my four. Okay. <laughs> I hate my three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Backseat is last.
Craig and Kevin, you've kept your top score until now. Craig, why is this, why is this tops? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'll say that I, I didn't fall for this album right away. I think I found my way to it kind of, uh, you know, a little bit after it came out, kind of into December 20, 2008. And, and at that time, that was kind of right when I was really getting into Springsteen for the first time and, and listening to his music a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of listening to this album and hearing all those references kind of just made me want to listen to Bruce records. Um, and this song was the exception to that. And I just, I, I remember thinking it was a masterpiece from the first time I heard it. I think there's so much, uh, I think this kind of encapsulates the record in a big way. And, you know, I'll just, I'll read what I wrote about it for my 10 year retrospective. Cause I think it kind of captures better than I can just off the top of my head. So, uh, for all its nostalgia, the 59 sound is not a record about holding on to youth. Actually, it's the opposite. Instead of holding on, it's a record about letting go. By the time the album spins around to the back seat, youth has morphed from a collage of great expectations and Ferris wheel nights into something claustrophobic and cramped. You know, the summer always brought in that wild and reckless breeze, Brian sings in the chorus, sending up the wildness of being young one last time. But then he adds the qualifier. And in the back seats, we just tried to find some room for our knees. And in the back seats, we just tried to find some room to breathe. Youth means sitting in the back seat of your own life while someone else drives you. It's effortless and carefree, and it shields you from the dangers and pains of the world. But eventually you outgrow it. Your knees start pushing against the leather of the seat in front of you. You learn to climb. You yearn to climb into the driver's seat to take control, or at very least the passenger seat to be someone's co-pilot. Taking that leap is a risk because it means shouldering the responsibility for everything that happens out on that great big highway of life. It means dealing with the breakdowns and car wrecks and detours and bumps, but it also means freedom, the ability to take whichever exit you want, to drive as fast as you need, to go where you will. The backseat captures all this pain and possibility so perfectly that every time I listen, I swear it hurts a little more, while also ma- making me smile a little wider. So, uh, yeah, this is my 12, and I just think it's kind of the perfect way to cap off this record and to turn it into a really cohesive, thematic statement on on growing up. Love it. Kevin? Um, first of all, the intro to this, re- th- this song is... Uh... Benny Horowitz is the MVP. That those fills are amazing. Um, it's funny when you guys, when, like, I gave you a bunch of albums to pick from, and when the, when you came back with this one, I'm like, oh, I gotta hear Wayne's thoughts on Backseat, <laughs> and then like, and then like you told me about Craig coming on, and, and I read the thing, I'm like, oh, Craig already explained it to me. It's like, it's you know, it's a nostalgia <laughs> thing. It's a you know, the, the the your knees hitting the backseat. I mean, are you? Do you want to be in the front seat? Do you want to, you know, grow up and, and be able to drive the car, or are you happy being in the back seat? It's it. There's just like a kind of like I'm not sure which way he wants to go with that, and and it's just it's just an amazing kind of analogy, I think. I mean, it's just well, it an epic closer. This is yeah, it could be both. Well, I, right? I, I, I think there's there's times where I'm I want to drive, <laughs> and then there's other times where. Man, it would just be so much easier to just be in the back seat yeah. and you you take the wheel. <laughs> this is the one song where Craig's review had the biggest effect on me because I I don't I don't even want to delve into what it means, but I hear back seat, 
auto, I automatically assume sexual, and I start. <laughs> that's I don't, my other I'm not question, even right. paying attention. Yeah. And so I let this song. And you do go, need room for your and knees. I read that right. review. I read that review, and then I start listening to the song, and I read the lyrics, and it absolutely is that that metaphor for that you're getting too big to be in the back seat. But I also thought right. that it's interesting because the first thing that we try to do to show that we're adults is is usually in the back seat. <laughs> and so it's it's definitely a, an incredible metaphor. And like I say, I've told my kids, I'm the 52-year-old father of four, and I've told them all, stay in the back seat as long as you can. That's really watch the you know watch stuff go by nobody fucking listens to me. <laughs> that, that's 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 good all right this is one that i really i really hate my score there there so was a time when it would have this was the song that i yeah. i i i would have had at one just because it was the last song and i was out of <laughs> numbers yeah but but it, I, I had to find. I, I, moved, I was able to get it as high as a seven. Yeah, this is my six, and I, and again, I feel bad because I say this all the time on the podcast. The ending track is important to me. Like I want, I want you to wrap up the album, and I want, I want it to be so good that I want to listen to the record again. Or I want to go seek out some of your other, your other music as well. This does that for me. Like when I heard this for the first time years ago, I'm like, I'm all in. Now I need to go find the rest of this stuff. Because I didn't, I, I didn't come into this in 2008. I came into this on their, on their next album and I went back. And I'm like, why was I not listening to this? three years ago or whatever it was. And like I say, you said it was bigger in England and, and around here, I don't know if there was a place for it. Cause I mean, obviously rock and roll was starting to wane. Um, but this was, this was the only song. Like I found it because I, I had stopped listening to the radio. What I would do is at the end of the year, I would get the Rolling Stone top 50 right. singles, my alternate, you know, the local alternative radios, one, uh, 107 best songs, um, I get 91 X's a year end count. I just get all, I'd go and collect all the singles from these yeah. year end countdowns and I would listen. And this one immediately stood out to me and I, and I started from there. I was like, why is, why is not, why are there not more songs off this album on these playlists? Why is, mm-hmm. why was this the only one that made any, any dent at all? Um, they got a little bit, I mean, Rolling Stone, I remember, reading an article just before I based, I think it was the review of the next song, American slang, which American slang does have my favorite gaslight anthem song, uh, boxer, but yeah, other than, too. but I just don't, it, it's always, it's always amazed me that they weren't just huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Yeah. All right. Craig, do you want to, do you want to say your score one more time? For yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, my 12 and has been, I think from the first time I heard this album. So yeah, kind of fitting. Okay. Kevin. Yeah. Definite 12. Um, if you ever seen him okay. close a show with this, it's amazing. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we said six and seven. So we said, <laughs> <one. laughs> yeah. you'll learn. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I always say this at the end of each uh, podcast. Did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? Uh, yeah, we got a lot of it. It was great having Alex here for a little bit, a little bit of an insider view. Yeah, that was I great. am. He is right, though. I think his being his presence would have not that we had anything bad to say about any of these songs, but it would have been it would have been awkward to say anything <laughs> even remotely derogatory with the with his presence. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. All right. Any guesses on one? On our top song? Uh, yeah. Title track? Yeah. Title track, average score of 11. Second is Great Expectations, average score of 9.5. Third, Backseat, 9.25. Nine is the average score for Old White Lincoln. And then Patient Ferris Will, 8.75. So all of those are like within seriously quarter of a quarter of a point yeah i think we got the song i think we got the top five right though yeah lots of good songs yeah, lots of good songs it. here yeah yeah guys this was awesome kevin uh thank you so much for picking this thank you well thank you or, or at least um giving us some good choices you know, to, 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 to go through. And I think you threw this one out cause you knew that I, we were going to say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to go with the gaslight anthem album. I can't believe you hadn't done one. Already. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's, there's still a few artists that were like, I can't believe we haven't done any of those records yet, but yeah. Craig. Thank you so much as well. Appreciate you reading some of your your great review of of this. So that uh, definitely added some some extra color. Where can people find you out there? Yeah, people can find me on Twitter at further from sky, or they can uh, look me up on chorus.fm. Uh, just Craig Manning is my author page over there. So uh, yeah, awesome. Kevin, anything you want to promote? No, I have nothing. Just a regular guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes. Go to Records Revisited Podcast for that. You can find me also on Twitter at Podcast Records. Um, you probably hear see me and Craig exchanging tweets uh, uh, occasionally as well. Um, find me on Facebook. Just search for Records Revisited Podcast. Wayne, different content on the Insta. Uh, records at Records Revisited Podcast. And, of course, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms. And, of course, if you want to be like Kevin and join us on an episode, you can join our Patreon. Um, usually, it, my catch line says you can get episodes a week early, but I've been horrible about <laughs> getting episodes early out there. But if you do... Con- contribute at the guest contributor level the guest revisor level um you can join us on an episode to talk about one of your favorite records go to patreon.com slash records revisited podcast for that oh and um you can be cool like kevin as well i'll put in the episode notes (laughs) yes put in the episode notes um you can you can go purchase a shirt and if you contribute enough at on patreon I might send you a shirt. 
which I did with Kevin because I'm like, he's he's my original Patreon dude. I'm sending him a shirt. So there yeah, you go. Thank you very much. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a t-shirt of the podcast that you're listening to right now as well. <laughs> go buy a record. Visit a record store and not just on record store day. We are Records Revisit and we are out! out. out.